a lot of, a lot of families here, kids heading back to school. How, how many uh, kids in the room here are, are already back in school? Anybody? No one? Oh, teachers. How about, how about teachers back to school? Okay, there we go. Excellent. Well, we are also heading uh, into a fall season as a church, and uh, Christy mentioned earlier, we're gearing up uh, in particular for community groups uh, kicking off uh, this fall. And so we're excited about uh, the opportunity we have to have um, nine community groups available. So we really encourage you, um, you know, to consider being part of a community group uh, for the 10-week season this fall. Uh, I find it, it is important from time to time to kind of like uh, uh, reschedule and figure out the next season ahead. And uh, that not only happens in our family lives, so that happens in our spiritual lives too. So I'd encourage you to think about uh, this next season, uh, what God is calling you to do to really invest as a follower of Christ, both in terms of uh, our gathered life together here on Sundays, but also in terms of um, being part of a community group. It's a great opportunity uh, to be able to lean into relationship with others and also lean in a little deeper into what's being taught uh, on Sunday morning. Uh, this coming uh, fall, we're going to be walking through uh, the gospel according to Mark, uh, so the book of Mark, it's going to be a roughly 10-week series, so we'll be just doing an overview of Mark, and also during this time, um, groups are going to be going a little bit deeper uh, into this book, roughly uh, two chapters a week, uh, community groups are going to be considering uh, in the gospel according to Mark. Also, we have a uh, supplemental resource, uh, book, Jesus the King, book and workbook. Some people love workbooks, some people hate workbooks. Not mandatory, but supplemental, all right? Uh, but great way to dive a little bit deeper uh, into the teaching uh, of, of the gospel according to Mark. Uh, so you can pick up that book. Um, there actually is a, uh, some more info on the table and back about the website that you can go to uh, to pick that book up. Uh, whether you're part of a community group or not, I encourage you to, to grab that and uh, dive a little deeper uh, into learning about the person of Jesus Christ. He's the center point of our faith. With that said, uh, let's kind of turn our attention uh, to the book of Jonah. Uh, we've been in Jonah the last four weeks, and this is our last week in uh, the book of Jonah. And uh, we've been uh, saying week after week that there is uh, probably the most famous aspect of this story, which is the big fish, right? And that's actually, though a cool part of the story, not the main part of the story. The main part, or the main theme of Jonah is the surprising mercy of God. Uh, we see at the beginning of Jonah this prophet of God uh, who runs from God and from God's call. Yet God does not give up on Jonah. Uh, he comes after him with a storm. He comes after him with a fish. And uh, he is drawing Jonah back to himself and back to his purpose for his life. Uh, we see the surprising mercy of God in the people that God sent Jonah to, the Ninevites. That though these were wicked people, God did not give up on them. Uh, but he's extending his mercy uh, even to the Ninevites. And then we're going to see here today in chapter 4 that Jonah's still got some real heart work to do, and God has still not given up on him. Uh, Jonah is all about the surprising mercy of God. So uh, like we've done every week, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to read Jonah chapter 4. After I finish reading uh, the scripture here, I will say the word of the Lord, and you can all respond, thanks be to God. I'll then pray, and then we can sit back down. Actually, I'm going to start with Jonah chapter 3, the last verse of Jonah 3, uh, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? 
That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. The word of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, your word tells us uh, not just how we are to live, but even more, it shows us who you are and your heart toward us. And for that, we are so thankful. So Lord, I pray this morning you give us eyes to see uh, you for who you are in all your mercy. Uh, God, I pray you'd also cause our hearts in turn to become like you. Uh, Lord, we know that we are in need of, uh, of heart transformations to become merciful as our Father in heaven is merciful. So please use this time this morning to shape us and mold us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. I used to own a, a metal uh, chiminea, you know, those little fire pits with a tall chimney. We used to have that on our back patio when we lived up in Alton. We had many fires outside on the patio using this chiminea, and, and I loved it. Uh, but over time, it got pretty old and worn out and pretty rusty. And I wanted it to look a little bit better, uh, but I wanted it to look better fast. So I went to the hardware store and bought some black Rust-Oleum spray paint. And I sprayed the chiminea, and man, it looked great again for a couple months until all the rust just started bleeding right through the spray paint because I had not sanded all the rust off of the chiminea. Now, in chapter 2 of Jonah, uh, we saw Jonah come to his senses. He had been running from God, and he realized um, kind of the wrongness, the stupidity, the foolishness of running from God comes to his senses, and he calls it to God for deliverance from the great fish. And then Jonah begins to do what God had told him to do. He goes to Nineveh. But then when the people of Nineveh repent, when they turn from their sin, and when God has mercy upon Nineveh, Jonah's heart is revealed in chapter 4. Uh, like rust showing through spray paint, we see that Jonah's earlier repentance hadn't gone very deep. Uh, there was still heart work to be done. Uh, his actions, as right as they were to go to Nineveh, still weren't enough. Jonah's heart still had not changed. So in chapter 4, uh, we see the heart revealed. 
And that's what we're going to focus on this morning, the heart revealed. Uh, so first of all, let's consider Jonah's heart. Jonah's heart revealed. Um, Jonah's heart is revealed in chapter 4 by what he got angry about. Now, did you notice uh, uh, numerous times in chapter 4, we hear that Jonah is exceedingly angry. Um, emotions are a gift from God. And a lot of times we either want to run from emotions or just be driven by our emotions. But emotions, rightly understood, are a great gift. Emotions are often like an indicator light on the dashboard of our lives, telling us things. And exceeding anger is almost always an indication that something that we have made central to our lives is being threatened. And for Jonah, there were some things in life that had become incredibly important to him. Not bad things good things, but not God, things that he had made central to his life that were being threatened. And so he is angry, exceedingly angry. So let's consider here what he's angry about and what that reveals. Now let me read again Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 and uh, verses 3 and 4. Uh, we read, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Then he says this, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? What we see here is that Jonah is in incredibly angry because Nineveh did not get the judgment that he had hoped they would get. Um, Jonah did not get the justice that he wanted. And for him, this had become very, very important to him. Now, to really understand this, we must read the book of Jonah the right way. Uh, it, it is easy to come to this story and think, this story is all about learning to accept people that are different than you. That Jonah, being a, a Jewish person, did not want to accept the Ninevites who were different. And so the story is all about becoming nicer, more accepting, more polite. And while that would be a good thing, a good virtue, that's not the point of the story. It's not just about learning to accept people different from you. You see, the Ninevites weren't just different. They were wicked. I mean, what Nineveh had been doing to Israel and the rest of the world was atrocious. This is an incredibly violent, evil, corrupt, immoral empire. And they had waged wars of conquest all over the place and inflicted much violence. So, the Israelites have been wronged by the Ninevites. Jonah himself has been wronged by the Ninevites. They are not just different, they are enemies. It would be just for the Ninevites to receive the consequences for their actions. So what Jonah wants, the justice he wants, is actually correct. It would be right for God to punish the Ninevites. So the justice that Jonah wants is not a wrong desire. But this justice has become central to him, that if he doesn't get it, life's not worth living to him. It's become that important. If they don't get what they have coming, I don't even want to live. Jonah's like uh, you know, Gollum in The Lord of the Rings. You know, he's become so obsessed with this desire, he's grasping so tightly to it that it is corrupting him. It's embittering him. It's making him a miserable person. He's so focused on the wrongs of Nineveh that he can no longer even see their humanity. And he's so focused on, on their wrongs that he totally loses sight of the fact that God has just shown him mercy. 
And if this was only Jonah that this happened to, it'd be one thing. Uh, but this is kind of what happens to humans. Uh, it's so easy for us to become very uh, focused upon the wrongs of somebody else, especially when they're personal to us. Uh, maybe you've been wronged in the workplace. Uh, it's not easy to be wronged and see someone get away with it. Uh, maybe it's even a family member. Uh, but when we get hurt, we hold on to the desire for justice. And that's not a wrong thing, but we're not the one who's in charge of if and when the justice comes. That's God's job. And so Jonah is really putting himself in the place of God, saying, I'm judge here. They're wrong. They should be punished. And God is surprising in his mercy. And I think we should stop at this point, and if we're to let God's word not just uh, inspire us, but then to also shape us, we should ask the question, um, what person or group do I feel wronged by? Uh, if you spend any time uh, around other people in life, you know that we get nicked and dinged by others. And so who has wronged you? And are, are you able to release that wrong to God? Uh, justice does need to be done. Somehow things need to be corrected and set right. Um, but are you able to release that to the Lord? Because if not, we always become kind of like Jonah, a little embittered and a little too focused on this desire for justice. So that's the first thing we see here in this passage. Jonah is angry that God has not given him the justice that he feels he deserves. Uh, the second thing we see in this chapter that Jonah has become angry about is the plant, right? Um, Jonah uh, gets all upset because this plant that grew up and sheltered him uh, then dies, and he's now exposed to the, to the sun. And he gets incredibly angry that God took away his comfort. And Jonah has this epic freakout moment. I mean, I, as I think about this, I'm, I'm kind of laughing. Uh, it is a little bit comical. Um, and I was laughing, preparing the sermon this week, thinking, oh, how silly Jonah is with his stupid freakout. And then all of a sudden, uh, all these instances came to my mind of freakouts that I've had. And then it wasn't so funny anymore. I started thinking of how easily I've taken little things and just blown it way out of proportion. Um, uh, embarrassing story time here. Uh, I, I remember when my kids were younger and we were heading on a family vacation together. And I had been looking forward to this vacation for a long time. We packed up our our car, got all the tents in there, headed down to Cape Cod, and we set up our, our campsite. And it was a good spot, but after we got it all set up, uh, as the kids were going into the tent, the zipper on the tent broke. And not just a little bit, like th the tent wouldn't shut anymore. Not a big deal, one would think. I had an absolute epic moment of freakout over this. I, what did the kids do that caused this? My wife you know, suggested it wasn't a big deal which in the moment did not seem so, like an appropriate statement from her to me. <laughs> Absolute freak out. After I kind of settled down a little, I thought, what just happened here? And I realized that in my mind, this idea of having a, a hassle-free vacation, a time of comfort, had become really important to me, too important. I felt I was owed this week off. And I think this happens often to us that we have a desire for comfort that then becomes almost an idol to us. I mean, especially in our culture, it is really easy to turn comfort into an idol. 
See, when comfort becomes that important to us, we always lose sight of the real value of things. Jonah had completely lost sense of value. He lost sight of the fact that he is all worked up over a plant and cares nothing for the 120,000 people around him. Uh, 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 Putting comfort at the center of our lives causes us to lose sight of a real value. Comfort's a good thing, but comfort at the center of our lives ends up corrupting. It ends up even destroying uh, us from the inside out. We see here in chapter 4 that Jonah becomes angry because he doesn't get the justice he wants. He becomes angry because he doesn't get the comfort that he wants. Um, And as I consider uh, Jonah's heart, I'm once again reminded of uh, the story that Jesus told a couple hundred years or a few hundred years after this. When Jesus told the story that we commonly call uh, the story of the prodigal. And we've been connecting the story of Jonah to the story of the prodigal throughout this teaching series because I think this story is the Old Testament version of that New Testament story Jesus told. See, uh, in this story that Jesus told, uh, there were two sons. The younger son is the rebellious son. He's the lawbreaker. He's the one who breaks the father's rules and runs away from home. And in the story of Jonah, the Ninevites are kind of like this. They're the lawbreakers in the story. They're the ones who have fled from all of God's instructions. Uh, But if you're familiar with the story, you know that the younger brother comes to his senses and he returns to the father. And the father has mercy on the younger son, much the same way that God had mercy upon the Ninevites. But in Jesus' story, there's an elder brother. And the elder brother was not a rule breaker like his younger brother. He was a more dutiful son. He did what the father told him to do. He worked in the fields. Um, He was the respectable one. And when his younger brother returned, do you remember what happened? He had a freak out. Uh, We read here in Luke 15, 25 through 28, now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him. This is exactly what's happening with God and Jonah. God is entreating Jonah. He is pleading with Jonah because he has shown mercy to the Ninevites. And so we see the same heart that took place within Jonah, this heart of resentment, this heart of embitterness, this heart of anger is the same heart that is taking place in the elder brother in Jesus' story. And what we see in both of their hearts is that they do not grasp grace. They think they are owed certain things from the Father. See, a heart that really grasps grace doesn't feel ripped off when things don't go your way, when you don't get the justice you want, don't get the comfort you want. You can appropriately mourn, you can appropriately sorrow, but it's different from feeling ripped off, like I'm owed this. Neither the elder brother in Jesus' story or Jonah in this account understands grace. The heart of Jonah is revealed when God shows mercy on Nineveh. But We've been saying all through this series that the main point of Jonah isn't just showing us the badness of Jonah. It's showing us the surprising mercy of God. 
And, and so we also see not only Jonah's heart revealed in this chapter, we see the heart of God revealed in Jonah 4. And ironically, it is revealed in Jonah's own accusation against God. Now Jonah says to God in verse 2, it says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Uh, Jonah says, I knew this was your character. And this is why I ran away, because I didn't want you to be gracious and merciful to the Ninevites. He knows what is true about God. And he didn't make up this statement. I mean, what, what Jonah is saying right here, he is repeating what God has said to the Israelites about himself for generations. Uh, in the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verse 6, uh, we see Moses interacting with God. And God reveals to Moses who he is. And we read that the Lord passed before him, him being Moses, and he proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The very words that Jonah said. Jonah is just repeating what God has said about himself. And then as you go through the rest of the Old Testament scriptures, uh, many of the Psalms have that very phrase repeated about God being merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. See, Jonah knows what God has said about himself in the scriptures. Jonah knows the Bible. But there's a difference from knowing about God and then actually knowing God. When you actually know God, you are changed. You become more like God. So at this point... God is going to show Jonah who he is experientially. In Jonah 4, we see God live out his character to Jonah. Well, let me just reference how he does this. We see that God is gracious and merciful to Jonah uh, in chapter 4. See, um, grace and mercy are about God not interacting with people according to who they are and what the people deserve, but interacting with people based on who he is. Um, this does not come naturally to any of us. Um, by nature, if someone is kind to me, I am kind to them. If they are mean to me, I am mean to them or I avoid them. We interact with people based on who they are and what they do. That's just what comes natural to human beings. God's not like that. God interacts with people based on who he is. So at this point, if God was to act, interact with Jonah based on Jonah's actions, the story would have gone very differently. But God is gracious. He continues to give Jonah the things he does not deserve. Things like a plant. Uh, things like kind words. Jonah, uh, Jonah continues to receive grace from God. He continues to give him mercy. He doesn't bring his judgment upon Jonah right away. He does not give him all that he deserves. Um, I, I, we read earlier this morning in the call to worship, Psalm 103, uh, verses 8 through 10. And it's very clear here that God is a God who interacts with us based on who he is. It says the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Then listen to this. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Isn't that good news? That God interacts with us, not based on who we are, but on who he is. 
Such good news, and Jonah yet still doesn't fully get this. God also reveals to Jonah in this chapter that he is slow to anger. Now, God, uh, it's not that there's no anger. Actually, no anger would mean no love. The opposite of love is not anger, it's apathy. If God didn't love people, he'd just say, ah, whatever. See, someone that really loves somebody gets angry over the things that are harming them. God is angry over our sin because it is destroying us and destroying those around us. So it's not that God has no anger, it's that he is slow to anger. Unlike us, who are very reactionary in our anger. We quickly react and get volatile and lash out. And that's not God. God doesn't have a hair trigger. God is slow and patient. I mean, listen to how he he talks to Jonah. He doesn't respond to Jonah's harsh words with harsh words of his own. He responds with a soft word. He responds with a gentle question, even a gentle rebuke. God is slow to his anger. And then lastly, we see that God is abounding in steadfast love. I love that phrase. Abounding means um, plentiful quantity, enough, or even more than enough. And what does God have enough or more than enough of? Steadfast love. He has enough or more than enough of love that won't quit. That God continues to give his love to people who do not deserve it that God continues to pursue Jonah in love. See, my reaction to Jonah would have been to cut him off. I'm like, okay, dude, you know, I already gave you one chance, and you haven't learned. I'm moving on to a more deserving person. Um, that would be my reaction. I am quick to cut people off. God is not like that. God is abounding in steadfast love. Well, this story um, ends much like Jesus' story of the prodigal ends. Both stories end with a father, or God, outside with the elder brother type son. And it ends almost unresolved. What will Jonah do? Will Jonah eventually become merciful? What will the elder brother do? Will the elder brother go into the party? What will happen to these elder brother types? Really, the question here is for all of humanity. The question is, how can the human heart become merciful like God's? How can the human heart change? See, if the human heart is to become merciful like God's heart, there needs to be another revelation. There needs to be another heart revealed that has the power to actually change the human heart. Now, we've been saying um, throughout this whole teaching series that the story of Jonah is actually meant to point us forward Uh, to the story of Jesus. Uh, Maybe you remember that the first week in this series, we actually had a picture of an ambulance up on the screen. And when you look at an ambulance, you see the word ambulance written backwards on the front of it. So that when you look into the rearview mirror of your car, then you can actually read the words correctly. We said in the same way, Jonah is kind of like Jesus spelled backwards. Um, Jonah, or Jesus is like Jonah, but better, but greater, but truer. Jesus does so many things that are kind of similar. I mean, Jonah is sent to people with a message of mercy, but he runs away. Jesus is sent from heaven and comes running with his message, the gospel. We see that Jonah uh, is caught up in a storm and falls asleep in the midst of the storm. He's so tired from running from God, from disobeying God. We see Jesus also asleep in a storm, 
but he's tired from obeying God fully. You know, we see Jonah being thrown into the sea that others might live. We see Jesus being thrown into the judgment of God that others may be delivered. And again and again, we see these parallels. But Jesus says that the way this is most clearly seen, and we read this in Matthew 12, 40-41, he said, Jesus said, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah. See, what Jesus is saying about himself is that he is the greater Jonah. That everything Jonah was supposed to do but failed to do, Jesus has done. Jesus is greater in terms of who he is, but also in terms of what he can accomplish. Jonah could not change the heart of anybody else. Only God can change a heart. And Jesus is God. So for the human heart to be truly transformed, not just spray-painted with good deeds, we need the heart of Jesus to be revealed to us. And I'm going to kind of lean in here a little bit and say we need the heart of Jesus revealed in three ways. If our hearts are going to be changed, first, we need the heart of Jesus revealed for us. If our hearts are going to be changed, we need to see Jesus' heart for us. You see, the, the heart of Jonah was most clearly revealed when he went outside the city and sulked uh, in his own pride, in his own self-centeredness, hoping for God's destruction on the city of Nineveh. Jonah's heart was clearly revealed then outside the city. Jesus' heart is also most clearly revealed outside a city. We read in the Gospels that after Jesus was whipped, beaten, he took a cross and he walked a journey outside the city of Jerusalem to the place of Golgotha. That's where he was crucified. It's outside the city. And see, one of the deepest needs of our human heart is to actually believe that God truly loves us at our worst. That God knows everything that we have done and he has made a way for us to be completely accepted and forgiven. And we will get that answer nowhere else other than the cross of Jesus Christ. When we look at the cross of Jesus, we see that God has loved us enough to give himself for us completely. So in the cross, we see Jesus' heart for us. And that's where the, our own heart change begins, is by saying, I have sinned against God, I need forgiveness, and I know that God has loved me more than I can ever know, hope. And we see that in the cross of Christ. But there's more revelation needed. Secondly, we need the heart of Jesus revealed in us. So first, we need his, his love or his heart revealed for us, but we also need the heart of Jesus revealed in us. We need to be able to connect the events that happened almost 2,000 years ago on a cross into our lives now. Um, Romans 5.5, 5, the Apostle Paul writes, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That this event that happened to put in history is more than just a historical event. It has the power to shape our hearts in the present. See, the Holy Spirit makes that event real to us now. That we now sense, oh, wait a minute, I really am forgiven. God really does love me. 
God really does want to lead me, that we serve a Savior who not only died, but rose, and he is alive today. And he has the power now to reveal his heart in us. And this is such good news, that God isn't just saying, get your act together and change. He's saying, I will give you my love. I will give you my heart. Put a new heart within you. Then you begin to live in the ways that I call you to live. The heart of Jesus revealed in us. And then lastly, if we were to have real heart transformation, we also need the heart of Jesus revealed through us. The heart of Jesus for us, the heart of Jesus in us, and the heart of Jesus through us. Um, we read, read this wonderful uh, section of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 16. And it's a verse all about changing of the heart. And the Apostle Paul writes this. And if you know the story of the, of the Apostle Paul, you know that at one time he was actually a Jonah kind of guy. Uh, Paul was a very religious fellow. He was a very self-righteous fellow. He was a person that did not think he needed God's grace until he met Jesus. Everything changed when he met Jesus. And here in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 16, Paul writes about this. He says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Paul says, first of all, that the motivating force of his life is now the love of God, the love of Jesus, that he has seen God's love in the cross. He has sensed God's love by the Spirit coming into him, and he now is living differently, God's love flowing through him, and it motivates him to interact differently with others. He believes that Jesus died for me, and Jesus died for all of you. And if we truly believe that God died for everyone that we come in contact with, there begins to have a different motivation for how we interact with them. If we believe that one died for all, it causes us to see people differently, right? Paul said, from now on, I regard no one from a worldly point of view. A worldly point of view is simply, I interact with you based on whether I like you or not, on what you can do for me, on how you treat me. That's the natural way of living. Paul says, nope, I now interact with people based on how Christ has treated me and Christ's love for you. Talk about a radical difference in how we interact with people. That we interact with people based on God's love for us and God's love for them, not what they are doing for us in the moment. The heart of Jesus revealed through us. The heart of Jesus has been transforming human hearts for centuries. That's what the gospel is all about. Uh, the, the heart of Jesus has caused people to become merciful like their Savior, even to the point of desiring God's mercy for their enemies. Now we see that in Paul. And a profound modern-day example of this heart on display for enemies is a uh, a statement that was made um, by a woman named Rachel Den Hollander. Uh, she was a former U.S. gymnast who was the first woman to file sex abuse charges against Larry Nasser. Remember the scandal that took place a few years back. And at his trial, Rachel faced the man who had done such wicked things to her. And she said the following to him. She said, The Bible teaches that there is a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. 
Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. That was the message that God intended Jonah to speak. You deserve destruction, but God's surprising mercy is waiting for you. And friends, this is the mercy of God that can change our hearts. And this is the mercy of God that God wants to share through us to those around us. So this week, I encourage you to pray three things. I encourage you, first of all, to pray that God would reveal the heart of Jesus more fully for you, that you truly would see Jesus not just dying historically, but you would know he's died in your place, your sins placed on him. You'd see Jesus' heart for you. Secondly, that you'd ask God to reveal the heart of Jesus in you, that God's love by his, the power of his spirit would change you inwardly in your heart. And then third, you'd ask God to reveal the heart of Jesus through you, that you would really want God to pour his mercy and grace out through your life to your neighbor, your coworker, your family member. And here's the hard part. You might have to pray that uh, by faith because a lot of times I don't really want God's mercy to flow me through me to that degree. But we've said this all through this teaching series, that every person who calls out for deliverance in the book of Jonah receives the mercy of God. I'm confident that if you call out to God asking for these things, he loves to answer that prayer. God will, he will pour out his surprising mercy upon you and through you. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you are the God we read about here. Lord, who is gracious and merciful, who does not interact with us based on our deeds. And Lord, you know all of them. You know our, our deeds, you know our thoughts, you know our motivations. And yet, Lord, you have come for us and have loved us completely and have died in our place. Thank you. We thank you that you are slow to anger. Lord, that you aren't looking forward uh, to pouring out um, what we deserve. But Lord, you are eager, eager to extend mercy. And we thank you that you are abounding in steadfast love. Lord, that you are faithful, that you promise to walk with us. You promise to teach us, to help us, to grow us. So God, I pray that we would trust you uh, more fully. Lord, as we look at your word, as we consider uh, the story of Jonah, and Lord, as we consider our own lives, Lord, help us to trust you and to walk with you in this week. So thank you, Lord. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.